Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Joy Gruitz. I just want to know how many of you have been there. <laughs> Flipping the coin, right? Good morning, everyone. It is so good to be with you on this beautiful autumn Sunday as we continue this series on true or false. And what we're going to look at this morning is a proverb that many of you might be familiar with. And the proverb is this, God helps those who help themselves. Is that biblical? Is it in the Bible? Is it true or is it false? Well, even though there are over 700 proverbs in the Bible, this is not one of them. You know, it does have, though, this biblical sound to it. I mean, it's a proverb that encourages us to take initiative. And how many of us have heard that scripture in James that says, faith without works is dead. So you would think if I take initiative to put my faith into action, I mean, isn't that a good thing? Well, the problem with this proverb is that it gets things backwards. Clarice Haynes Jr., who is author of Pursuit of Purpose, he says this is the problem with this proverb. It says, you become your first source of help and strength, and God is secondary. Not only is this out of order, but that was never God's intent. It has never been God's intent that we be our own source of help. So if this proverb isn't biblical, where did it come from and why do we know it so well? Well, it's interesting that in 1736, Benjamin Franklin published this proverb in his very famous publication called Poor Richard's Almanac. And there are some who believe that Benjamin Franklin got this proverb that it was based upon a fable, an Aesop fable, called Hercules and the Wagoneer. And a wagoneer is a driver of a wagon, and one day he got his wagon stuck in the mud. He had a heavy load. And so he cries out to Hercules for help. And Hercules responds by saying, get out of the wagon, put your shoulder to the wheel, the gods help them that help themselves. So it's easy to see how this fable might have been used by Benjamin Franklin to create or write this proverb. But it is more likely that he got it from a 17th century English thinker called Algernon or Algernon Sidney. And he penned this proverb in his writings that defended the form of government that we know as a republic. But you know, it really doesn't matter where this proverb came from or how we've become so familiar with it. What's important for us to know is that its message implies a self-reliance that is inconsistent with the message of the Bible and that this proverb paints a picture of our God that is inconsistent with his character. It implies that you have to earn God's help. It implies that he will only help you if you earn it by helping yourself first. Yet over and over again throughout the Bible, we see a God of grace and mercy and compassion. He is a God that steps in time and time again to help those who are in trouble, who are facing a situation that is too big, too strong, too difficult, too overwhelming 
and he comes in with his grace, mercy, and compassion. Or there's even times we read where God steps in and he helps those who cry out for him to help them because they have tried it on their own and they failed. You see, this is the truth, that God does not require us to earn his help. God desires that we turn to him for help and that he is our first source of help. In, in Psalm 46.1, it declares, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in times of trouble. That is the heart of our God. To be our present help in times of trouble, to be that first source of help when we find ourselves in a place that is difficult and overwhelming for us. But I also note in the scriptures that God also wants to be our first source of help to empower us to become the who that he has purposed for us to be and to do the what, the good things that he has arranged for us to do. There is an amazing scripture in Ephesians 2.10, and this is what it says. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. I love this other translation. It's a paraphrase translation. And it says, for we are the product of his hand. We are heaven's poetry etched on lives, created in the anointed Jesus. Why? To accomplish the good works that God arranged long ago. See, not only has God placed in us a natural DNA that has determined our physicality, but God has also placed in each one of us a spiritual DNA, a purpose and divine assignments, good works for us to accomplish. You see, this is true not just for pastors and evangelists and missionaries. This is truth for each one of us, each one of you. The Lord has a divine purpose for each one of you. He has divine assignments, good things that he has arranged or purposed for you to do. And his intent is that you never do it on your own strength. That you don't have to get out of the wagon, put your shoulder to the wheel, and try to make it happen. You see, the prophet Jeremiah understood this profound truth about how we were created. In Jeremiah 10, 23, he says, O oh Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Isn't that a powerful scripture? It sure takes a burden off of us. We were never created to try to direct our own steps and figure it out all on our own. Jeremiah understood that we were never, he never intended us that God never intended us to live our lives and fulfill our purpose here on earth independent of God, independent of his help, his wisdom, and his guidance. He never intended for us to try to do it all on our own, directing our own steps, trying to find our own way. Nor were we created to try to lead the way and just expect God to come along after us, you know, kind of, he's along for the ride. You see, the plan from the beginning 
was that God created us to lean upon him, to draw upon him as our first source of help to show us the way and direct our steps so that we can become the who that he has created us to be and to do all of those good things that he's arranged for us to do. You see, that was the plan that God had from the beginning with Adam and Eve. He created them with a purpose. Genesis 1.28 says, Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over all the animals. They were created to govern over God's creation. And God didn't just give them this assignment and said, You know what? You're just going to have to figure this out on your own. Nor did he say, I'm only going to help you with this if you help yourself first. No, you read the scriptures and you know that God did not withdraw his presence from his creation, but he drew near to his creation. We read where Adam and Eve, they would meet with God in the cool of the day when he would come to the Garden of Eden. And why was God communing with them? Because he wanted to direct their steps. He wanted to show them the way how to fulfill their purpose to govern over all that God had created. But tragically, they made a choice to try to help themselves. They made a choice to turn to a tree for that knowledge, that knowledge of good and evil to be their source. You see, really what that choice was about was a choice where they said, I want to be my own God. We want to do it our way. And so they turned to a tree to be their source of help. And the problem is, their choice was a disastrous choice. A disobedient choice that has affected all of us because as the father and mother of humanity, not only did they suffer the consequence of their choice, but you and I are also affected by that choice. Because there now is in each one of us that ingrained inclination to want to be our own God. There is that natural inclination in us where we want to know, go our own way, do it our own way, and direct our own steps. We see ourselves as our first source of help and then God as secondary. We turn to him when our wagon gets stuck in the mud. You know, years ago... My sister got up late for work. She was a teacher, and so she knew that she had to rush as quickly as she could to get to school. And so she got dressed, she got ready, she jumped in her car, and of course, as soon as she started the car, she noticed that the fuel gauge was hovering on E. And so before she got onto I-75, because she had a 40-minute drive, she knew she had to find a gas station, so she pulled into a gas station, She jumped out of the car, filled the tank with gas, jumped back in the car. Yes, she did pay. And then then off she went. Well, she wasn't on I-75 that long when all of a sudden she noticed that her car was losing power. And so she pressed that gas pedal down a little bit more and the car didn't accelerate. It continued to lose power. Well, she just continued to drive because she had to get to work. And then she began to notice the engine started to make some strange noises. Finally, she arrives at school. And even though she knows she's late, she knows something is wrong with this car, that it's bad. And so she gets out, she lifts up the hood of the car, and she looks in. And when she sees that engine, 
suddenly she knows what's wrong with her car. Because in that moment, she remembered that this new car didn't have a gasoline engine, it had a diesel engine. And she had filled it with gasoline, and, and I know by all that groans, you know that it's not a good thing to put gasoline in a diesel engine because when you do, it'll throw off that piston cycle and the piston will crack and the rod will be thrown and the gasket will be blown and that, that block, that engine block will crack. And if she had kept driving, she would have destroyed that engine because a diesel engine is not designed to run on gasoline. See, gasoline has a different flash point, a different viscosity. So for optimum power and performance, you put diesel fuel in a diesel engine. Well, God created this engine. And he created us to be fueled by his presence, by his spirit, to be our first source of help and strength. You see, we weren't designed to fuel ourselves with our own wisdom, to direct our own steps, to do it our own way. For optimum power and performance in our lives, we are designed to be fueled by his spirit so that we can be empowered to be the who that he has purposed us to be and empowered to do all the good things that he has arranged for us to do. And when we look at the Bible, we can find a man who needed God's help to show him the way and direct his steps in order to fulfill God's purpose for his life. And the man's name was Gideon. Gideon lived about 1,200 years before Christ. And he lived at a time when his homeland of Israel had become an impoverished land. It was a time when the Midianites had begun to invade their land. You see, the Israelites, the Israelites had continued to mix their worship or pollute their worship of God with their worship of idols. We see this happening again and again. And here in the time of Gideon, that is exactly what they were doing. They had mixed their worship. And so God had pulled back his hand of blessing and protection. And the Midianites had begun to invade the land of Israel in such a strong way that they would, they would strip their lands of the crop. They would steal their livestock. They would lay the land bare. And Israel became an impoverished land. But the Israelites, in their need, they cried out to God. You see, they had become so fearful of the Midianites that they were leaving their homes and they were hiding in the mountains and in caves, just trying to find a place where they could survive. And it's in these circumstances that the people finally turned and cried out to God for help. And because our God is full of mercy, because our God is full of compassion, when he heard their cries, he stepped in to help. And God chooses this man named Gideon to be the instrument that God would use to deliver the people, deliver Israel from the Midianites. Now, when we meet Gideon in Judges 6, he is a man by whom all accounts you would think would be a very unlikely choice to be the rescuer of Israel. Because when we meet Gideon, he is threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, 
You don't have to know a lot about threshing wheat to know that that probably isn't the best place to thresh wheat. You see, when you take a stalk of wheat and they would thresh it, they would beat it against the ground and the grain would fall to the ground and the chaff would float in the air. So you're supposed to thresh wheat on what's called a threshing floor, which would be an open area, maybe the flat top of a hill, so that when you beat that stalk, the grain would fall, but the chaff would float in the air and the breeze would just take it away. The one place you don't want to be threshing wheat is in a pit. The grain will still fall to the ground, but that chaff is just going to swirl around. It's going to be in your face and in your ears and in your eyes. And this is the place where the angel of the Lord meets Gideon. And this is what the angel of the Lord says to him. Judges 6, 11. God is with you, O mighty warrior. Then in verse 14. He goes on with the commission. He says, now, Gideon, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. I want you to imagine how Gideon must have felt in that moment when he heard those words. He's in the bottom of a pit, hiding from the Midianites, threshing wheat in secret, and God addresses him as mighty warrior and then gives him the assignment, go rescue Israel, this man is hiding in a pit. I mean, he feels anything but a warrior, let alone a mighty warrior. So it's understandable that Gideon's response is this, Judges 6, 15. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. What Gideon is saying, Lord, I am not warrior material. You know, in the tribe of Manasseh, my clan is the weakest. And in that clan is my family, and in that family, I'm the weakest. One translation, he says, Lord, I'm the runt of the litter. I am not warrior material. You see, Gideon isn't someone who thinks he can save Israel without God's help. He's someone who doesn't think he can save Israel with God's help. And when you look in the natural, you'd have to agree. Because there is no record of Gideon doing any great exploits that would qualify him to be a mighty warrior that would rescue Israel. You know... We see no record where he distinguished himself on a battlefield. We don't see him standing before Goliath like David or tearing a lion with his bare hands. There are no hint of any great exploits in Gideon's past that would incline us to believe that he was warrior material. You see, Gideon wasn't trying to help himself be someone of consequence or to do something of consequence. Gideon was just trying to survive. You see, Gideon was like that wagoneer in that Aesop's fable. Gideon was stuck. He was stuck at the mercy of the Midianites. He was stuck in the knowledge that he and the Israelites were no match for these Midianites. He was stuck in the belief that things were hopeless. He was stuck in the belief that there was absolutely nothing that he could do. Yet the angel of the Lord addresses him as mighty warrior. 
And what I love about this is that God addresses Gideon as mighty warrior before Gideon ever became that mighty warrior. That God saw the mighty in Gideon when Gideon only saw his weaknesses and his limitations. God saw the mighty in Gideon when Gideon could only see everything that was wrong in the world that he was in. When he could only see the hopeless plight of his people, believing that there was absolutely nothing that he could do. And I think in some ways we can identify with how Gideon felt. Because so often it's hard for us to see the mighty that God sees in us. You know, sometimes we, we know, oh, there's mighty in Pastor Tony, but mighty in me? You know, sometimes all we see are our own weaknesses and limitations. We see the hopelessness and brokenness of our world with its overwhelming problems and turmoil. And our response would be like Gideon's, who me? What can I do? There's no mighty in me. But I want you to look at something. Before the angel of the Lord address Gideon as mighty warrior, what were the first words that that angel of the Lord spoke to him? It was, God is with you. And then when Gideon's response was, I can't, God, through the angel of the Lord, countered Gideon's, I can't, with yet another word from the Lord that says, I will be with you. Look what it says in verse 16. He says, I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. The angel of the Lord countered Gideon's I can't with not just one but two. You can because God will be with you. So let's review once again this commission that God gives to Gideon. God is with you, O mighty warrior. Go with the strength you have. I want you to hang on to those words. Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites, and I am sending you. I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. I want you to note in this commission that God revealed to Gideon what God had purposed him to do, to be that great warrior, that mighty warrior. He also gave him the commission of what he was to do, rescue Israel. But you also must notice that God revealed to Gideon an expectation that Gideon would have to use the strength he had, that Gideon would be involved in this process, that God would be his help, God would show him the way, God would direct his steps, God would empower him, but Gideon would have to act upon what God was showing him. He would have to take those steps of obedience using the strength he did have. Now, after God gives to Gideon this commission, the first assignment that God gives to Gideon doesn't even involve the Midianites. But it was an assignment that required Gideon to use the strength that he did have And it would require him to do something that was going to take him outside of his comfort zone. He said, Gideon, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go downtown to your hometown. And I want you to tear down the altar to Baal and the Asherah pole. 
and I want you to build an altar to the Lord and make a sacrifice to the Lord upon that altar. And so Gideon now received the direction from the Lord, and now Gideon was going to have to use the strength he had to carry it out. And look what happens in Judges 6.27. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. How many of you love that verse? I love that verse. Because he did it, right? He did it in the strength he had. And the only strength he had was to do it at night instead of in the daytime. And I love that God honored what Gideon did. Even though it wasn't particularly mighty, God honored it. Because you see, God is patient and he is loving. And what he did in that moment shows us that God understood that Gideon had to grow into that mighty calling. Isn't that a comfort to us? that you have to grow into that mighty calling. And God is patient along the way, as long as we use the strength we have to be obedient to where he is leading and guiding us. And then, after this event, it says the Midianites and the Malachites, they formed this alliance, and now their goal is to totally crush the Israelites. And it is in this moment of crisis that God helps Gideon now in a most powerful way. He does something very special for Gideon. And we find it in Judges 6.34. It says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Gideon received the empowering strength of the Spirit of the Lord, and as a result, he was inspired in faith to send out a call to arms, a call to arms to the men of Israel. And I want you to understand that the Israelites are in hiding. They're in caves, they're up in the mountains, they're in, a, they're in retreat, they're in survival mode. So he's sending out a call to arms, and Gideon doesn't know, is anybody going to show up? But Gideon does what God has told him to do. He follows the leading and guiding of the spirit of the Lord that is upon him. And so using the strength he has, he sends out that call to arms and 32,000 men show up. It was a miracle. And Gideon knew it was a miracle. But he also knows that that joint army of the Amalekites and Midianites, they are 120 thousand warriors. He knows that he is still vastly outnumbered. So what does Gideon do? He turns to God for help. He says, God, things in the natural don't look good. I am outnumbered. And so I'm turning to you, Lord, for help. Would you confirm to me that you are really going to be with me in this? and that there will be a victory, and that I will be that mighty warrior to rescue Israel. And so God hears what the cry of Gideon's heart, and he performs this miracle with a wool fleece, making it dry one morning and wet the next. And, and Gideon, Gideon rejoices because it's a confirmation that God truly is going to be with him. 
And then God says, Gideon, you've got too many men. Too many men. And what I find so interesting is that the Gideon who met God in that threshing pit, you know, threshing wheat in that wine press, that Gideon's response would have been, no way. This isn't, he would have been incredulous. There's no way. 32,000 against 120,000, and you're telling me that's, I have too many men? But you see, Gideon was being transformed into that mighty man of God who was trusting God to show him the way and directing his steps. And so without hesitation, he obeys the leading and guiding of the Lord and God gives him instructions to pare down 32,000 men to 300. 300 against 120,000. And then God gives to Gideon some instructions, gives him a battle plan. And Gideon, becoming this mighty warrior, he's listening to what God is telling him. And he enacts this battle plan to a T. And with 300 men, he is victorious against 120,000 enemy troops. God does the victorious work through Gideon. You see, no longer now would the Israelites just survive they could now thrive in the land that God had promised them. You see, God took a man who said, who am I? God took a man who took stock of his inadequacies and said, how could I ever be a mighty warrior? God replaced Gideon's I can't with the belief that I can because Gideon made a choice to embrace God's promise that he would be with him, that God would be his helper, and that God would empower him to do what he could not do on his own. And listen to me, church. Just as God helped Gideon become that mighty warrior, that mighty man of God, God's desire is to do the same for us today. And there is no help, no question that we need God's help today. That we need God as our first source of help. Because our world has been shaken by tragedies, by natural disasters, by political and social turmoil that's all wrapped up in an ongoing pandemic. And when things are uncertain, when the events of life threaten to overwhelm us, our instinctive, natural human reaction is to do what the Israelites did, to retreat to where it is safe. Given everything that we have experienced over the last year and a half, it has been so easy for us to just push that pause button on our lives, to kind of live in this holding pattern, to pull back and to retreat to where we think it is safe and just survive. But I believe with all my heart that what God has been impressing upon me, that it is now a season, a new season, that the season God is bringing us into is not a season where we are just going to survive. He wants his church to thrive. You see, he wants us to unpause that pause button. He wants us to thrive in this world that needs a church that is thriving. 
a church that can be that beacon of hope and life and compassion and love that this world needs. And to thrive in this world where things are so broken, we need to turn with a renewed commitment and a renewed focus to the one who is still our helper. We need to turn to the one who desires to be our first source of help, the one who still wants to be that ever-present help in time of trouble. He is still that ever-present help in time of trouble. And he, and he desires to also be our first source of help to show us the way and direct our steps so that we become the mighty men of God, the mighty women of God, who are empowered by the strength and direction that the Lord can give us to become that one who can fulfill those divine assignments that he has arranged for us to do in this season, in this season. You know, sometimes there's been a lot of good things that we can look in our life where God has led us and guided us, good things that have been accomplished. But he is saying, church, this is a new season that we need to be mighty men of God in this season, mighty women of God in this season, that there are divine works for us to do in this season because this broken world needs a church that is fulfilling her destiny. And here is the advantage that we have over Gideon and the Israelites. In the Old Testament, when we read in Judges 6.34 how the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, I want you to know that that was such a special occurrence, such a rare, treasured occurrence, where the Spirit of the Lord would come upon someone. It was reserved in the Old Testament for a chosen few. But because of what Jesus Christ accomplished on this cross... Not only do we receive this awesome gift of eternal life, but also understand that he also has made it possible for each one of us, not just a chosen few, to receive the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit to be with us and to empower us from within to become the mighty men and women of God, fulfilling the divine purpose for which we have been created. You see, Jesus told his disciples this promise. This was the night before he was crucified. He said, this is my promise. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. You see, Jesus had been their helper. But he says, because I'm going to do the work of the cross, I'm going to leave you. But I'll ask the Father and he will send you another helper. And when you see helper capitalized, you know it's referring to the Holy Spirit. And he says, you know him, the Holy Spirit, for he dwells with you. See, the Holy Spirit had been with the disciples, had drawn the disciples and revealed to the disciples who Jesus was. But the difference was that he dwells with you and will be what? In you. You see, on the day of Pentecost, the words of Jesus came to pass. On the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of the Lord came upon those disciples and empowered them from within. And you can read in the book of Acts how they became the apostles. 
the disciples became apostles, mighty men of God, who fulfilled their divine purpose to establish his church here on earth. And what God did for those apostles in the first century, he, desire, he desires to do for us today, we who are his disciples, who are his Christ followers today. When we open up our hearts, the Lord's promise is that he will empower us with his very spirit, the Holy Spirit, to not just be with us, but empower us from within to guide us and lead us just like he did Gideon, just like he did those apostles, that we too can become the mighty ones of God, fulfilling those divine assignments that he wants us to do today so that we are a church that is not just surviving, that we are believers who are thriving and we become that beacon of hope and joy and love and compassion that our world needs today. Amen. Would you bow, bow your heads, please? This morning, if you are like me and you want to make this fresh commitment to turn to the Lord as your first source of help, if you are ready to say, yes, I want to unpause that pause button, I want the Holy Spirit to be my helper, to lead me, to guide me, to become that mighty one of God that he has purposed for me to be. If this morning you want to fulfill every divine assignment that God has for you in this season, I would like to invite you to make a bold and courageous move to stand with me as a declaration before our Lord and say, Lord, I want you to be my first source of help. If that is in your heart, would you stand with me as we pray together that the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God that was with the disciples and empowered the disciples, that he would come and he would empower us today. There is a purpose. There is a call on each one of your lives. There is a mighty that God has placed in you that you may not even recognize. You may look at all your own weaknesses. You may even look at your past mistakes. When you looked at Gideon, this was a man that no one in the natural would ever think would ever have become a mighty warrior. But he learned to turn to God as his first source of help. Let's just pray. Father, we come to you, Lord, and we acknowledge that there are so many times we find ourselves trying to do it on our own. And then when we fail, we turn to you. But this morning, as we stand as a church, it is in our hearts, Lord, that you would be our first source of help. We come to you today, Lord, and we are asking that the same spirit that empowered those apostles in the first century, that you would empower each one of us. We open up our hearts, Lord, that not only would his, your presence be with us, but you would empower us from within. We unpause that pause button today, Lord. We no longer want to just survive, we want to thrive as the children of God who are fulfilling our purpose for which you have created us. We thank you for your compassion, 
We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your love. And Father, we just, we surrender ourselves to your way. Show us the way. Direct our steps. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.